Um, and the first thing to see um, is what I've called um, spirit flood. Um, you see, the first thing that happens in verses 20 and 29 here is that the spirit is poured out. In the last days, it says there will be a flood of the spirit. Now, after people have repented, remember that's what we saw at the beginning of Joel. Joel called people to repent, to turn back to God. And one of the things that happens then is that God will pour out his spirit um, on them. Uh, look, at, look at how it's described there in verses 28 and 29. And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You see how the, the verses are topped and tailed. I will pour out my spirit in verse 28. And then at the end of verse 29, I will pour out my spirit again, he says. God says he's going to tip out the Spirit. He's going to pour it out. I wonder last week, um, at Swan, how did you find the showers? Um, I was a bit disappointed, really. It was a bit of my, my shower was just a bit of a trickle. Do you know, I hate a shower that just trickles. Um, I love a shower which you can get really, really wet underneath. And it actually pours out over you. You see, when the Spirit comes, there's no trickle that comes. You know, it's, it's, it's the language of pouring out. An abundance of the Spirit. It overpours onto us. And notice what happens when the Spirit comes. Uh, we'll, we'll look at a few things here. But firstly, look, there'll be um, a democratization of the Spirit. It's a great word, that, isn't it? Democratization. Um, I didn't come up with it. Um, but you see, who gets the Spirit? Now look again at verse 28. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Now for an Old Testament reader to hear that, that was huge. All people to get the Spirit. If you read through the Old Testament, you will see that not everybody in the Old Testament got the Spirit. Only certain people of the people of God had the Spirit. The kings and the the priests, the prophets. But here, this flood of the Spirit will encompass all people. All people will have the Spirit. And so you could, you could say there'll be, there'll be no sexism, there'll be no ageism and no classism in, in when the Spirit is poured out. See, see what it says there? Verse 28, no sexism. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. No sexism. No ageism. You see it in verse 28 again. Old men will dream dreams. Even young men will see visions. The old and the young together And then there'll be no classism. You see that in verse 29. Even on my servants, both men and women. You could be translated, even on my male slaves and my female slaves, the the lowest of society, even on them, will get the spirit. You see, all is encompassed within, all in humanity. No sexism, no ageism, no classism. God will pour out his spirit on all people. And what does this spirit do? When it is poured out on all people... Well, you see that he gives gifts to these people. People will do things. Now, as we approach this, thinking about what happens, what people are given, uh, notice that this is a, a poetic description. Now, we've seen in the, in the, in the democratization point that uh, the things come in couplets, so sons and daughters, old men, young men, uh, male and female servants. Well, just as that is trying to then picture the whole of humanity... When it says here that the sons and daughters will prophesy, it's not saying that it's only the sons and daughters that will do that. And it's not only the old men who will dream dreams. 
It's meant to be a picture of everybody will do these things. This is what the Spirit will do for everyone. It's a, a, the poetic way of trying to get everybody to be included in these things. And we also need to remember, as we come to this, that Joel is not speaking to a New Testament audience. When he preached this, he was speaking to an Old Testament audience. And so we need to understand what he's trying to say in terms of the Old Testament and how the Old Testament uh, presents things. And then when we, when we do that, we will then try to look in the New Testament to see whether that fits with what we see um, in the New Testament. Well, firstly, let's talk about the dreams and the visions. Uh, they go together. Um, often, again, in Hebrew poetry, they say the same thing twice in a slightly different way. So dreams and visions go together. Um, and what Joel is speaking of here is the revelation of God. It's the knowing God. You know, many times in the Old Testament, God spoke to prophets in dreams so that they might know God. That's how God spoke to people. He revealed himself, showed people what his purposes were in the world. And so in Numbers 12, we see some of these things. Let me read this verse from Numbers 12. God says, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. You see, God spoke to them in dreams and visions. That's how, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself to particular people through his Spirit. Now, God spoke to prophets in visions and dreams so that they might know God, they might understand his purposes in the world. And if you uh, flick on a page into, into Amos, you see a similar kind of thing at the beginning. You see, this is, Amos says, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, what he saw concerning Israel. Do you see that? What he saw concerning Israel. He saw something and so spoke to the people about it. God revealed something to him. He saw it and spoke. Uh, you see the same thing in the next prophet along in Obadiah. But it says the vision of Obadiah. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You see vision and then he says this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Uh, they saw visions. And so in the Old Testament, a prophet was immensely important because he was the one to whom God revealed himself. But you see what's going to happen? Joel is saying in in these verses that a time was coming when God would pour out his spirit and all people would see dreams and visions. All people would have God revealed to them so that they might know and understand what God is saying. And so in the gospel, we are led to know God. Through the gospel, we know God. And as we heard last weekend, the Spirit reveals him to us. The Spirit helps us to know. We know in the gospel, not through dreams and visions now, but we know through the work of the Spirit, taking God's word and applying it to our hearts. God reveals himself now through the preaching of his word. We'll come back to that in a moment. But first, let's look at prophecy. You see, to the second, it says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now I wonder, I suppose at the most basic level, you could say, what's prophecy? Well, it must be somebody speaking. The prophet, our prophet speaks, that's, that's the whole idea. Somebody, the prophet speaks outward, it goes outward. Prophecy is not something that happens inside of you, you know, like digestion which happens inside of you. This is something which comes out so that people can hear. And so, again, in Numbers um, 11, we see this, the same kind of idea. Now, God uh, gives the Spirit to 70 people. Moses says to God, I can't, I can't deal with this people. 
And so God says, well, I'll put my spirit on 70 elders who will help you uh, administer and look after these people. And so God does that, and this is what happens uh, in Numbers 11. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke with Moses, and he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. You see, when the spirit came to them, they spoke, they prophesied. Uh, the people speak and the people hear them. Now in the Old Testament, the prophets were the people who spoke from God, who told the people truth from God, and God spoke to the prophets in dreams and visions so that then they could speak to everybody else. And when they spoke this truth from God, it wasn't necessarily about the future. What it was, was taking God's word and applying it to the situation in which they were in now. The future was relevant only for them in so much as it helped them to live in the present. Now we are in a very different situation now from Joel and the other Old Testament prophets. We live in a time when the ultimate revelation from God has come. When Jesus has come. And Jesus was that ultimate revelation from God. He lays bare the purposes of God in the world. And it is Jesus that we now speak of. Jesus is the truth of God. We don't need more words from God because we've got Jesus. Well, let's see how those two things that we've looked at, the, uh, the, the visions and dreams, the knowing God and the prophecy, the telling, let's see how those work out in Acts. And so we're going to read um, Acts uh, 2. And I think Liam's going to come and read. Let me just give you a little bit of context though. So in the first book that, that Luke wrote, um, the, the, the Gospel of Luke, he says to Theophilus, this is what Jesus did. And so, that, so that Theophilus could be certain of his faith. In the second book, in Acts, which is his second volume that he wrote, he says, in my first book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. And now he's going to tell us what Jesus continues to do. And so in chapter 1, we see the disciples gathered together. And then in chapter 2, the Spirit comes. And so Liam's going to come and read that to us now. Uh, Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one, in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the billowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each, each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is how is it that each of us hears them them in his own own native language? Parthians, Medes. Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them, hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. 
Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out, or pour out on all people. Uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you see what happens there, when the Spirit comes in Pentecost, and when the Christians first receive the Spirit, what do the people do? Well, do they have dreams and visions? It doesn't seem that they have dreams and visions in that way. Do they prophesy? Well, the word is not used here, and yet they do speak, don't they? Verse 4, All of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. They spoke in tongues or in languages. There's a speaking going on here. The people who receive the Spirit, these first Christians receive the Spirit and speak. And they speak in other languages. And you see what happens? There were loads and loads of foreigners there. And in verse 6, when they came, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard speaking in his own language. You see, each one of them heard speaking in his own language. They heard their own language being spoken to them. Now, that demonstrates a reversal of the judgment of the Tower of Babel, but we're not going to go into that now. The point I want you to see here is that the people hear words and they understand. They're hearing intelligible words, words that they can understand. You see, when people receive the Spirit here in Acts... They speak so others can understand. And the tongues which they speak are not for private praise, they're for public proclamation. You see, it's not private praise that is going on here, is it? It's public proclamation. People hear in intelligible words people speaking to them. And in verse 11, we see what they hear. You see what they say? This big crowd that come together who are hearing these intelligible words, they say, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. You see, these first Christians, the apostles here, they're declaring the wonders of God in languages that people can understand. And I think as we, as we read those wonders of God, we'll have to see that that's the gospel. What's the big thing that's just happened to them? That They've been amazed at what's happened. Surely it's been what happened with Jesus on the cross, his death and his resurrection. Indeed, that's what we see happening as Acts goes on. They speak the wonders of God, what's happened in, in, in Jesus Christ coming to earth and being resurrected again, and what that means for the people. That's what they declare all the way through Acts. So you see what happens? The Spirit comes and people speak. At public proclamation in different languages, so people hear the wonders of God, so they hear the gospel. And Peter then explains that, that happening, what happens there, he explains it using words of Joel 2. See, the apostles 
that know the gospel, at the end of Luke, they've received, um, they have their minds open to understand the scriptures. But now that the Spirit comes, they are knowing and they're telling the gospel. Now we don't see them having dreams here or predicting the future. That would be the wrong thing to expect from Joel 2 as we've seen. Joel 2 leads people to expect the gospel to be spoken and that's exactly what we see. So to summarise, Joel 2, 20 and 29 it shows us that the Spirit of God will be poured out on all people, no distinctions, and as that happens they will be able to know God and to speak of God. Now Joel expresses that knowing and telling in the appropriate Old Testament way. But as that revelation has progressed uh, through time to Christ, we see that now we have the scriptures, we have uh, the Bible, we have God's words there, which are then taken by the Spirit and applied to others. And so we can now know God through these scriptures and we can speak to people from those scriptures so that they might know God as well. Let me try to draw out just a couple of the implications of that. Now last weekend when we looked at the Spirit, uh, when we were away, we saw that the Spirit reveals, uh, He convicts people concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. We saw that He parades Jesus, he, He makes Jesus bigger, He shows Jesus to people. He brings life to people. So as the Spirit reveals God to people, as He reveals Jesus, that brings life to them. He raises up the dead bones. The whole Christian life comes through the work of the Spirit. And yet, I could ask you, how does the Spirit actually do that for people? How does He reveal? How does He give life? Well, what we see from Joel... And what we see then from Acts as it explains that in the, in the experience of the Christian church is that as the Spirit is poured out, people tell the Gospel. They speak of Jesus. And as they speak of Jesus, the Spirit takes those words and reveals God to them. Takes those words and brings life to people. And the people hear and understand and are made alive through the speaking of the Gospel, through the speaking of words. Now it's not saying that the Spirit couldn't work in another way, but the evidence of the Scriptures is that that's how the Spirit normally works. As people speak the words of the Gospel, the Spirit takes those words and uses them to reveal Himself, to make people alive, to equip people, to transform people. And so for example, we see if you read through Acts, in in Acts chapter 8, Philip comes up and speaks to an Ethiopian. The Ethiopian is reading the Bible, doesn't quite understand it. And Philip explains from the passage he was reading and uses other passages then to explain to him about Jesus and the the Ethiopian then ends the discussion by wanting to be baptised he's become a Christian he's been made alive as Philip has spoken to him and the Spirit has taken those words or in 1 Corinthians we see the same kind of thing as uh, we read of Paul who came came to Corinth Speaking of Christ crucified, that's why he said he determined to know nothing except Christ crucified. He didn't give wise words which the Greeks were looking for. He wasn't trying to persuade them through intelligence. He didn't give miraculous signs like the Jews were looking for. He spoke. And this is how he describes it. He says in verse 4 of chapter 2, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, 
but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. See, Paul speaks words, and he can describe that, though, as a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He came preaching Christ crucified, and he says that was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. The power of the Spirit is seen in the words of the Gospel. You see, the Spirit works through the speaking of gospel words. The Spirit reveals and gives life through the gospel as it is proclaimed. As I say, God could do it differently. God can do um, anything. And if you say, can God do, then in general you can add anything onto the end of that. You can't tell lies or do evil, but anything else God could do. But the scriptures don't lead us to expect God to do it in other ways. Well, the second implication if the Spirit takes words and applies them to people's hearts to bring them life, to reveal God to them, how does, who's to do the speaking? Is it, is it evangelists who do the speaking? Or is it professional ministers, people who are paid by churches? You see, if the Spirit is poured out, as Joel 2 says, on all people, sons and daughters, old and young, even the lowest and the high in society... Well then it's not just a few who do that speaking. Now there, of course there's some who are given particular roles within church. And they're given time to do more. Yet they're not alone in doing the work. All of us are now able to speak the truth. Because God has revealed that to us. Now in Acts 2 it's not just Peter who speaks. He stands up with the rest of them. And as you, as you read through, again we get to um, Acts 8, and it says there's great persecution comes in the church in Jerusalem, and the church is scattered out of Jerusalem, and the gospel then is spread to other places. But interestingly, at the beginning of Acts 8, it says, all were scattered except the apostles. The professionals, if you like, didn't get scattered. They didn't go doing the telling. It was everybody else. You see, you here today, Christian, have the Spirit... And so can know God and tell the gospel to others. Now you might feel that you don't know all the apologetic arguments that some people know. But you know Christ and Christ crucified. You can speak of the gospel. And the the Spirit can take your seemingly weak words and use them to bring life to others. In Sheffield there's over 50,000 students. Can you, can you imagine that? Over 50,000 students. I walked through Enclave Village this morning on my way here. And you know, you think, there's loads and loads of people living just in one village here. From first year generally as well. Now, it's not even the whole range of people who are at university here. If it was up to me as the, the, the person who works for the church to take the gospel to everyone, then we're on a losing battle. You see, God uses you to do that. You have the Spirit, so you can do that. You don't need any special training. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit, you can know the Gospel and you can tell that to others. You see, you don't need Rico Tice to do it for you. You can speak. You don't need a lunch bar, you can speak to your flatmates. You don't need a church service, you can speak to those in your course. 
You can speak the words of the gospel and do not fear that your words are inadequate. You know, it's hard to tell people the gospel. People might laugh at you and think you're a fool. And yet the Spirit of God can take those words and apply them to the hearts of others. Well, in a minute we're going to look at why we should speak of Jesus. But in your groups, why don't you look um, at the at point two there in the group discussion um, for that part. Testament. We find that the day of the Lord, which is spoken of in verses 31, uh, 30 and 31, this dreadful day of the Lord, the day that we've seen in chapter 2, um, and the, uh, the day of the coming of the Spirit, are just teased out partly. There's a, the gap is made. Now, so in, in Acts 2, Peter starts the quote by saying, in the last days. You see, he changes the quote slightly from what we have in Joel. He says, in the last days these things will happen, they'll be pouring out. And so how, to, how are we to understand this? Well, I think what we're meant to see is that the day of the Lord could come at any time. Once the Spirit's poured out, the day of the Lord comes. And the day of the Lord will come at any time now. We're living in the last days before the last day, as Karina was saying. Before the final day, we're living in the period when it could happen at any time. You see, the Spirit coming is actually almost a guarantee that then this day of the Lord is the next thing. Because the day of Pentecost has happened, that final day will happen at some point. And so we now live in a period of history which is leading up to that last day. Now we could represent it um, like this, uh, I suppose. This is what Joel thinks is going to happen. Uh, He thinks that... Oh, the computer stopped working. I spent ages on this little picture as well. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't spend that long as you'll see in a minute anyway to know all the rest has been pointless this is the one bit I really wanted on it didn't need any of the rest well I'll let Matt fiddle away um, so what I've, what I've done in the diagram is you see the spirit of the Lord comes This is what Joel seems to be saying. The Spirit of the Lord comes and then it's the day of the Lord. We almost live in a a bit of a gap between verses 29 and 30. And it's a time in which we can then preach the gospel. It's a time in which there's a space for people to turn back to God before the day of the Lord actually comes. You see, why should we prophesy? Hey! There we are. You see, it wasn't that one way forward, was it? <laughs> but I spent, I spent five minutes on that. Um, you see, so we live in that gap. It's as if time has been just kind of, the, the, the sequence has just been pulled apart slightly and a, and a time slotted into that part. And it's the time when people can turn back to God and find repentance. You see, why should we tell people the gospel? Well, the day of the Lord is a reality. And the rejection of him will be called to account. And so in this period now, we can plead with people to come back. We can speak gospel words with them and plead with them to turn back to God. But let me ask you, do you really believe in the day of the Lord? Do you really believe that this is a day which will come? 
Now, I suspect most of you do believe in that. You, you, you nod in, in acceptance of that. Yes, that we know there's a day of the Lord, a day of judgment in the future, when God will come back and call all people to account. We, we, you understand it intellectually. But do you really believe it? Does it really change how you live now? Does it really change how you view people? How you love people? How you care for people now? Now when Peter preached in Acts 2, people really understood what he was saying. They understood the reality of judgment and they come and they're cut to the heart and they say, what must we do? You see, but do we really believe in the reality of this judgment to come? The time that we have now is a time for telling people the gospel, for speaking the gospel. And the time is short. We don't know how long this time is. But God in his patience waits so that people can respond. And so you can say we live in these last days, the, the days leading up to the last day, and so what, do, should, what, should our, what should our focus be in these days? You see, we've got a responsibility to preach the gospel now. Well, responsibility is probably not quite the right word, is it? We've got a priority to preach the gospel now. Because the days are short. We don't know how long they will be. There's not always going to be a chance to speak to the gospel to those who don't know But then you could say as well, in some ways, as Stu was saying, some of the language here seems to reflect Jesus on the cross. And I think what we see with Jesus on the cross is that before the final day of the Lord, we see a little glimpse of what that will be like. As Jesus faced the day of the Lord, in some senses, on the cross. He faced the judgment of God as he hung on the cross. He faced God in his wrath as together they bore the sin of the world, the Father pouring out his judgment onto the Son. And it's almost a glimpse beforehand of what the final day will be like. But it's also the reason we can have confidence now as we speak the words of the Gospel. You see, that's where we come to the last point in this universal call. See, because Jesus has faced the day of the Lord in some sense before the final day, before it comes for all people, we can have confidence in verses 31, in verse 32. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. See, it's because of Jesus facing the wrath of God on the cross that we can have confidence that, to say to people, you need to turn back to God. Come to him. Find forgiveness in him. It's the reason we can call people to turn back in the face of this day to come. For all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now we've been saved as we've done that. Listen how Paul describes the church in Corinth. He says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ their Lord and ours. 
See, Paul describes the church as those who've called in the name of the Lord, those who've been saved by God. We can call in the name of the Lord for salvation. Now, it's what Paul quotes in, in Romans 10. He says, And all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved, in, in an encouragement to preach the gospel and to say that the gospel has been preached to everyone. You see, the gospel is not just for one group or another. It's for anyone who calls. Anyone can do this. And if they do, then they can be assured of salvation from God. Calling upon God to save them is wonderful. Because it doesn't matter when you do it or where you do it, the answer is always the same. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, I'm sometimes a bit fickle with my children. I don't know if you can find it with uh, people. No, they ask me one thing one day, and I say, yeah, you can do that. They ask me the same thing the next day, and I say, no, you can't do that. Uh, there's nothing's actually changed in the circumstances when they're asking. It's just that my heart is fickle. Uh, my moods fluctuate. I go up and down. Some days I think, oh, yeah, you can do that, it's fine. Others say, no, you can't do that, I don't want you to do that. Uh, my moods fluctuate. But you see, with God... God will never change his answer when people call on his name. If people come to God, call on his name, ask for forgiveness, and the answer is always the same. You are saved. You are forgiven. Welcome back. <laughs> it really is stunning news, isn't it? Now, the news that we've received as Christians is wonderful. As we've called in the name of the Lord and asked him forgiveness... Yes, you can have forgiveness. You will be saved. God has been so kind to me to reveal that message to me through the words of my parents, through the words that people have spoken to me as I've grown up, encouraging me to always to call on God and to know that as I've done that, I'm saved. See, God is faithful. As his son took on that punishment for us in his many day of the Lord, if you like, the day beforehand, then I can know that as I call on him, I am saved. Hallelujah, I am forgiven. I am forgiven because God is so gracious and kind to me. In Romans 10, as Paul says that if we try to attain God's righteousness by our own effort, we're bound to fail. And yet, as we come to him and call on his name, we find everything is done for us. There's nothing we need to do. And so he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And as we share that news with others, we are bringing them a beautiful news, a wonderful news, a sure and certain news. You see, it's a great relief, isn't it? As we can't attain our salvation, we read these words, and everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And you can be the ones who bring that message. How wonderful that is. Well, let's respond together by singing. Uh, let's praise our God who has saved us. Uh, sing how good our Redeemer is. And we're going to sing, God, uh, we're going to uh, talk, sing about how we've been saved, and how we are being saved, and how we will be saved. So let's uh, stand and sing together.